Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Cool Schools podcast as part of the Ed Choice Chats podcast series. My name is Mike McShane. I'm director of national research at Ed Choice and your humble host of the Cool Schools podcast. This is a podcast where I interview the leaders of cool and innovative schools across the country, try and tease out some lessons that they've learned, talk about the history of their schools and sort of think about maybe how some of the lessons that they've learned might apply to schools across the country. Today on the podcast, we have Belinda Henson, who is the head of schools of Legacy Classical Christian Academy in Fort Worth, Texas. LCCA was founded in the summer of 2010 by a group of six families that decided to open a university model school in the Fort Worth, Texas area. On the previous episode of the Cool Schools podcast, we talked with Chris Harper of Grace Prep, which was the first university model school in the country. LCCA is another in that model. On their website, they start by saying, with $360 and a prayer, this group of families opened a school in the fall of 2010 with 16 students as a transitioning university model school serving pre-K through 7th grade students in portable classrooms in a local church. Not knowing if the school would last even a year, teachers and administrators agreed to work for two years for no pay in lieu of tuition for two attending children per full-time position in an effort to sow into this ministry. Because of their compassion and commitment, this school has always functioned debt-free. Well, they were right. It did work. It was able to last. It still is in existence today. Had a really interesting conversation with Belinda, talked about some of the lessons that they've learned and the experiences that they've had. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Belinda Henson, the head of School of Legacy Classical Christian Academy in Fort Worth, Texas. So Legacy Classical Christian Academy, it seems like there are some proper nouns in there and there are some adjectives. So I was wondering, I would love to know what makes a classical Christian academy? A classical schools design their curriculum and instruction to maximize the child's natural stages of learning. And so they break it down into three different stages. There's the grammar stage, a logic stage, and a rhetoric stage. So during the grammar stage, when children love to sing and chant and play, and they're learning lots of songs, they'll do memory work, and they'll do copy work. So they learn their information through song and play. And then the logic stage is around your middle school years, around 11 to 14. And for us, we start teaching them logical fallacies. And while they begin delving into questioning and thinking critically about the information around them. And then the rhetoric stage applies everything that they learn in order to prepare persuasive essays and present them in an actual oral defense their senior year. So ultimately, a classical education teaches students to learn to defend the heritage of a Western civilization. So what sort of prompted you all to pursue? I mean, there's lots of different schools out there. There are some that follow um, science and technology or the performing arts. What's the draw of classical education for y'all? So we started our school in 2010, and my background is in education. I have my master's in secondary education, and I learned all these different theories of education and pedagogy and nothing really grabbed my attention. And, and it wasn't until I really understood classical education that I thought this is the direction I want my own children to go in. 
And my bachelor's is in child development. So I was very interested in developmental stages of learning. And so this really fits neatly into my own educational theory. Sure. You know, I'm not exactly sure when this podcast is going to run, but when we are recording this, just in the last couple of weeks, Sir Roger Scruton passed away, Okay. the great English kind of conservative philosopher. And one of the things that he wrote about, which I thought was fascinating, and, and what you just said sort of reminded me of that, is he talked about it channeling the other great English philosopher, Edmund Burke. He talked about how humanity has obligations not only to those in our community that we are currently living with, but also to all of the people who've come before us and to all of the people who will come after us. Right. And so part of what he talked about was sort of thinking of ourselves as almost like caretakers, that all of this incredible knowledge and thousands of years of trial and error and, and discussion and debate have happened, and we can add our bit to it. But predominantly, our job is to sort of preserve that so that the next generation can have it and then hopefully they will preserve it and the next generation will have it after that. And so it was just interesting sort of as you described that, because it seems to me like not a lot of schools necessarily see the, the idea of the sort of Western canon or the great works of literature or others as almost like a constituent of their community, right? Like it's not just the kids, right. but it's about this bit of knowledge. So when you're talking about that to prospective parents or other people, like, how did they respond to that? Because I think, as you brought up, it's sort of out of step with a lot of things that are going on in education right now. Most people, they either haven't heard of it, and because of that, it's pretty difficult to explain to them the differences because it's more of a paradigm shift. It's more of a philosophical change in thought. Sure. And, you know, and we just, I mean, I went through public school. Almost all of my teachers and parents were public school because they're just weren't classical schools back then. <laughs> sure. You know, and so it's kind of a learning process for us. To, we're teaching ourselves on what Western canon looks like even. And, you know, I, I appreciate the direction that some of our public high schools are going where they hone in on skill sets for students. But, you know, our great thinkers and our great leaders, they're the ones that really learn and understand and dwell on the, you know, the canon of literature. And they're the ones that are learning how to debate and discuss in a very Socratic method how to problem solve, you know. And so it's a skill set that is not valued as much. So it makes it a hurdle for some parents to jump over. Sure. They want me to have lots of technology and computer learning and these kinds of things, and our students already show that they know how to do that. I want to give them something that they're not going to learn on their own. Sure. Now, I realize you and I are throwing this term around because I know what it is, and obviously you know what it is, but when you talk about the Western canon, what might be some examples? So I'm thinking of just like your your maybe early high school students or the young people that are in the rhetoric stage. So, like, what would be some of the things that they're reading? So, our ninth graders read the Epic of Gilgamesh. They read the Old Testament, the Torah. And we look at the Torah as a historical text as well as a Christian text. We read the Enid and the Odyssey. And every year we read some piece of Shakespeare 
So they were, I think they were Julius Caesar in ninth grade. Um, and then 10th grade, they're focusing in on Renaissance and Middle Ages. And so they're reading things like the history of the kings of Britain. And I'm trying to think of what else they read in that class. Well, that gives us a great sort okay. of watch so far. It's wonderful. <laughs> so these these kind of classic works filled with timeless mm-hmm. lessons that go on. But, yes. you know, the other thing that you mentioned earlier, particularly in like the, the grammar stage, what I thought is that I think maybe for people who have heard about classical education or, or at least sort of can piece those words together and talk about these kind of older texts that exist, maybe some people might think that, well, that sounds really kind of like drudgery, you know, where it's right. kids having to slog through these big, thick, dusty books. But, you know, but you talked about, especially with younger kids, singing and chanting and playing. And I think I can imagine even some of these Socratic seminars that there might be some fun related to that. Right. So, like, how, how do you all incorporate, frankly, just like fun and making these texts come alive? Well, I think people forget that the Odyssey is really mostly about monsters. <laughs> <laughs> totally. It totally is. And, you know, as soon as you tell the children or the students, you know, you give them an idea what it's about. They're very intrigued, and it's oftentimes like one of their favorite books and stories of all time. We even introduce the Monster Gilgamesh to our students in fourth grade, just because it's an epic story, and kids like stories, and they find it interesting. If you ask me what makes it fun, I think really that goes back to the teacher. <laughs> so. For sure. <laughs> you know, I mean, you can take, you know, I've seen history teachers that love history that can make it come alive and history teachers that just say, open your textbook and just don't have that passion for it. And so, you know, my hope is that my teachers love the content that they're teaching and, and that they make it come alive for the student no matter what the content is. Well, so I imagine because what you're doing is a little bit different, is it a challenge to find teachers? Where do you find your teachers? Do you have to do a lot of professional development for them to get them up to speed? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so as the classical pedagogy grows and, and, and there's a couple of national associations, so there's some better networking and you can reach out and, and find some, some people that have been classically trained Mostly for our own little microcosm, I guess you could say, where certain schools will hold professional development weekends and we can send our teachers there. And then Classical Academic Press is a publishing company that actually has started to publish an online webinar type subscription program where they find these great classicists like George Grant who will speak about a topic, and then my teacher out here in Texas can log on and learn and listen to what he has to say about classical education. Wow, that's great. Now, in addition to being a classical academy, you're also a university model school. Yes. And so I think listeners may be a little bit familiar with those, but could you maybe talk about your particular, how you do the university model? Yeah. So I fell in love with the university model first before I found classical education. And university model schools, the registered trademark, most of them are accredited or they're in the process of being accredited. And we are able to do that because we're actually considered a five-day-a-week program. 
So the, the student splits their time between the central classroom and the satellite classroom. And so the central classroom are the days that the qualified teacher is there to provide direct and guided instruction to the students. And then the satellite classroom is usually at home with a parent or grandparent who oversees independent instruction and can reteach concepts their student didn't grasp the first time. And depending on the university model school will depend on everybody has a structure to it differently. So we have students attend pre-K through sixth grade are here on campus Tuesday and Thursday. And then 7th through 12th are on campus Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And then we have a couple of classes for our 11th and 12th graders that come on Tuesday and Thursday that can drive and can get out here for a calculus class or something. Sure. And so now how are you able to make the most of your time? I mean, so you have you know, traditional schools get all five days a week. You all are sort of splitting that time between, you know, when the students are actually on campus with you versus when they're working in their satellite home classrooms. So I'd be fascinated, you know, you just have less face-to-face time with kids in your central classroom. So how do you how do you make the most of that time? We don't spend a lot of time walking through hallways in between classes and that sort of thing. And we have small class sizes. We only have about 10 students in the class. But if you know a little bit about how public school instruction is working, quite a few schools don't send home textbooks to do homework and for fear of the textbook being lost or they're going to assign homework and the child's not going to bring it back and they have to give them a zero, you know, and so all of the quote-unquote homework time that a student would do outside of school oftentimes are incorporated into the school day. And then there's also, for instance, they do things like guided reading and guided writing in the lower schools. And in that case, the teacher will directly instruct the concept and have the child practice it. But then there's a good 20 to 40 minutes where the student has independent practice time so that the, and the teacher's nearby to oversee to make sure they understand the concept. And this is a great way to do this at school. What we really do is because we're teaching the parent to do the independent practice parts, so we're pulling that 20 to 40 minutes that they would be using, and we pull it and give it to the parents to do at home. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And so just as a, as a quick question, so how many students do you serve currently? We, we're small. We only have 101 students. Okay. And part of the things that I think is interesting that is, in many places, a you know classical education can be very expensive, but I would imagine that using this university model, you're able to keep costs down. Is that true? Like, how does your tuition compare to maybe other private schools in the area? Well, because we're accredited, I look to the accredited private schools. Sure, they run between thirteen and twenty-two thousand a year in the area, and we're able to charge with fees and everything, about 5000 a year. Wow. And so I imagine, like, that changes the types of families that you're able to serve. At the same time, I would imagine that, you know, your school model isn't for everyone, right? Not Correct. everybody necessarily would thrive in the classical model or the university model. So, like, Correct. what families, sort of, I don't know, if you're out looking for, for folks or you're in conversation with people about families would would thrive, like, what types of families, what type of children thrive in your model? So 
So it's not necessarily a type A personality child. And we have children who have cognitive processing disorders work really well with this model because they have time. They have small class sizes, and so the teachers can answer their questions. They have an advocate with their teacher and with their parent. And then they have their time at home that if they need to take as much time as they need to understand the concept, they have it. They're not having to be pushed or rushed to the next thing. I would say the kind of families that we enroll are ones that are committed Christians that are already attending a local church. Sure. And they're looking for, most of them aren't necessarily looking for class school, nor are they looking for university model school. They're looking for character development, and they're looking for kind people. Sure. (laughs) That love Jesus. and so. Those are mostly the families that we enroll are the ones that really want their children to have a good theological understanding of of the Bible. And I guess what I'm saying is we're not what I would call an evangelism-style school where we will enroll anybody because we think they're gonna, we're going to bring them to Christ. We want everybody to already be doing that or have had that experience prior to coming. Sure, and that's actually a really interesting concept, right? Like that you all are trying to create a specific community united around a particular set of ideas. And so mm-hmm. the folks who who want to ascribe to those ideas are welcome, and people who don't necessarily want to ascribe to those ideas, it's not necessarily the school for them. You know, that seems right, to, exactly. that seems to make a lot of sense to me that the idea that, you know, organizations that are united around a common purpose function better than organizations that are not, right? If right. everybody's rowing their oar on the boat in their own direction, you know, right. the boat's just yes. going to go around in circles. So right. So I'd be interested in how you kind of communicate that to people, because it's obviously, as you are looking to find people for your school, it's kind of a two-way conversation, right? You all are talking about the type of community that you want to have, and families are talking about the types of communities that they want to be a part of. Maybe just from a kind of tactical standpoint, do you do kind of information nights? Do you give people tours of your schools? Do you work with local churches? Like what are the actual kind of mechanics of identifying the types of people that would be a good fit for your school? So we have tried everything. <laughs> <laughs> and what is working for us now is that I no longer have an admissions or enrollment person. I'm head of school and I'm doing the admissions and enrollment. And I'm an introvert, so I don't really like to stand up in front of large crowds if I can help it. Sure. So what is working for us is if they contact me and they're interested in the school, I just ask them, do you want to meet this week or next week? And we sit down and we visit, and I just I go over basically everything I'm telling you about the school, about how it works and what classical school is and you know what makes a good fit for our school and sometimes what doesn't. Sure. So I would be interested in looking back over your experience. Are there any kind of lessons that you've learned? I don't know if it would be sort of easier to be phrased as if you could go back to when you started and give yourself some advice, what advice you would give. So I'll I'll ask the question either way, which is, is there one or two lessons that you've learned that might be helpful for, for people who maybe are considering starting a school or attending a school like yours or sort of advice you would give just yourself as you start on this journey? So starting a school, there's no way you're going to understand how that looks. But I would suggest, especially if you're going to do a university model school, that you shout 
the Noms Association because they have a program to help people start their own university school. For families starting out, we, I guess we kind of do a similar thing. At the beginning of the school year, we call it co-teacher college. Some schools call it parent training, but I never liked that name because I'm not training them on how to be a parent. <laughs> <laughs> so we're teaching them how to use the curriculum on their home days, and we're teaching them, giving them ideas. Say you have like a second grader, you're trying to do school at home, and you also have a toddler and a baby. How does that look? How do you do that? So we provide a lot of strategies and tools to get them integrated that way. Things that I had to really teach myself was conflict resolution mm. and negotiation skills because it's people-driven, and if you want to do it in a Christ-like manner <laughs> uh, so you don't you know, frustrate people or offend sure. them, looking at like the year or so that was really rough for us, that was the year when I was seeking out conflict resolution strategies. You know, so I guess if I had already had that, that would have been beneficial. But I don't really know if just reading a book about conflict resolution is going to help you as much as the joy of getting to walk through it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. This is a this is a recurring theme on this podcast. Is that we? Is it? <laughs> I, I very frequently tell people, I'm like, oh, you know, what lessons would you give yourself? And then they give you just exactly what you did—a very concrete thing. That's like, I wish I would have done this. But almost inevitably, they say, well. But I kind of had to learn it on my own. Like you have to kind of there's right. there's there's enough of this that that you just can't a YouTube video or a uh, a book isn't necessarily gonna gonna tell you what you need to know. So so maybe I'll close with we just had a chance to kind of look back. I'd be interested in you looking forward. So what does the next year, the next three years, the next five years hold for your school? We want to increase enrollment. You know we're we're really happy with how small we are with 100 students. So we don't want to have like four to 500 students. Sure. But the benefit of having a larger student body brings about, you know, better sport programs and better fine arts programs, more wages, more higher payroll for our teachers. You know, so the increase in enrollment is very important to us. And we're a 501c3 so we're independent, so we don't have a church that supports us. So, you know, we're looking to do we, we have a great relationship. We've been here six, where we're at, we've been here for six years, but do we venture out on our own and try to build something? Do we just stay right here? So these are actually just some of the questions that, you know, we're, we've been going over, you know, in our on our school board and those kinds of things. And so... We don't have any answers. We're just kind of in the what direction do we want to go with that stage. Sure. Well, Belinda Henson of Legacy Classical Christian Academy, thank you so much for joining us today on the Cool Schools podcast. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate you. Yeah. Well, that was a great conversation. I think we were able to cover a lot of ground because we had a school there that both has this classical model, which in and of itself is really interesting, and it's the university model. We'll see a kind of recurring theme throughout this season where I'm going to be talking to lots of university model and other kind of quote-unquote hybrid homeschooling options that are out there. I'm going to do my best not to be super duplicative and ask everybody the same questions 
about how they operate and, and how they make things happen because I don't think that would make for a particularly interesting listening. But hopefully throughout the course of this season, we're going to get lots of different views about this interesting phenomenon of hybrid homeschooling models where children attend some portion of their school week at home and some portion of their week in what we might consider a more traditional brick and mortar model. So stay tuned for this whole season. It's going to be the only thing that we talk about, but it's definitely going to be a theme throughout this season. If you like this podcast or other podcasts, if you just like podcasts in general, subscribe to Ed Choices podcast. You can check us out the kind of old-fashioned way on like SoundCloud, which I think is fine, but it's awesome if you subscribe via, you know, iTunes or Stitcher or I think any of these other platforms that are out there. Also, please head over to our website www.edchoice.org. You can sign up for email blast whether you're interested in research like I do or the cool stuff that our folks that are working out in states are doing or any of those interesting and wonderful things that EdChoice does, you can kind of customize your own experience there. But please sign up, get on our email list. You'll hear about this podcast. You'll hear about other stuff. And as always, I'm always looking for cool schools. So many of the schools that I have included in this podcast have come from friends and podcast listeners who say, you got to talk to this person at this school, and they've been wonderful. So if you know a cool school in your area, this is traditional public, public charter, private, homeschool, any of those types of things. If something cool is happening, I want to know about it. Please don't hesitate. Shoot me an email. Hit me up on Twitter. My Twitter handle is MQ underscore McShane. So please let me know on any of those media. And I look forward to sharing another cool school with you in the near future. Take care. Thank <laughs> you.